This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Free your Sex worker, and yes, it does. Sex worker, wench, I'll make her mind. Listen up close while I take it backwards. Okay, because the gal is in me, which I want. I'm not a proxy. Sex worker, but I can give you what you want. Sex worker, damn it. Get some. Tuned in to the Vixen Hour. Sex workers setting the record straight on Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Red Umbrella Radio. That's right, you have tuned into the Vixen Hour. The Vixen Hour is your weekly radio show that explores life, issues, and the world from a sex worker's perspective. This is your opportunity to challenge the stereotypes and prejudice that you may have about sex work and hear from the actual voices of sex workers ourselves. We are out loud and proud. This is the only community radio program in the world that is both publicly broadcasted directly to your radios and available online all the time via live stream and podcast that is 100% produced and presented by sex workers. Turn it up. All discussions presented on Vixen Hour are made in the interest of community information and are not intended to induce any individual to seek employment in the sex industry. For more information in this area, we recommend individuals to get in contact with their local sex work organisation. The Vixen Hour. Everyone has an opinion about sex work. Make yours an informed one. Joy 94.9. If at any point you would like to interact with the program, you can do so by sending us a text message on 0427-JOY949. That's 0427-569-949. You can also send us an email at onair at joy.org.au. That's onair at joy.org.au or giving us a call at the front desk on 1300-JOY949. That's one three hundred five six nine nine four nine. Wherever you are listening, all throughout Australia, that will cost you the cost of a local call. Isn't that handy? Hooray! So you are on the Vixen Hour. For the next hour, we will be listening to my chat with the fabulous Tracy Kwan. Now, Tracy Kwan is a New York-based writer. She has written a number of novels, starting off with Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl and her subsequent sequels, including... Diary of a jet-setting call girl and Diary of a married call girl. She also writes for a number of publications online, such as The Guardian, The Daily Beast, and right here in Australia for the ABC Online's The Drum. Uh, But she is somewhat of an inspiration to a number of sex workers. She, uh, I guess, started writing in 1999 for the online magazine Salon with a regular column that later became the novel Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl. So she is somewhat of an inspiration to... A 
number of people who are active here in the sex worker rights movement. So let's have a listen to my chat with the fabulous Tracy Kwan. Joy! So you're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9 and we are speaking with the fabulous Tracy Kwan. So Tracy Kwan is an American writer and former sex worker. She's probably best known for her Nancy Chan novels, The Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl and subsequent sequels. In addition, Tracy has written a regular column for The Guardian and The Daily Beast website on pop culture, sex, politics and is involved in sex worker rights. And I guess that's the nice sort of, you know, Wikipedia answer that most people will be familiar with. But I think to sex workers, Tracy Kwan represents one of the early figures to actually put a voice to identity of sex worker so, and has been an inspiration to many people who have since followed. So it is an amazing and massive honour to have Tracy Kwan on the Vixen Hour. Welcome. Welcome. That's, that's, uh, that's, I'm, I feel quite humbled by all of that. It's interesting because I guess when the internet was sort of kicking off, you are one of the people who first jumped right in there and started writing, I guess, from a sex worker's perspective. I guess it's true that Salon magazine, which started on the internet mm-hmm. and was founded by a guy called David Talbot, who came from a newspaper background, they really gave me a platform. And interestingly enough, and I put this out here for a reason, they took me on because Slate magazine, which a lot of people have probably heard of and mm-hmm. which is quite was always more mainstream than Salon, Slate magazine rejected a piece I had done. There was a lot of support for the piece with all the editors. But the big wig at the top turned it down. And that actually gave the piece, like, legs, and Salon mm-hmm. ran the piece. And, and that's how, how my career with Salon got started. So I, I would say, you know, don't get discouraged. That's fantastic. It's always, you know, there is a good outcome to quite often what, what seems to be a rejection first off. So that's that's a fantastic story. And immensely grateful that that happened because the world now knows of the wonderful Tracy Kwan. It's a bit of a tradition here on the Vixen Hour. Whenever we do have a sex worker on, we start off by, well, I guess asking them to introduce themselves and we've done that a little bit and we'll get to know Tracy throughout the rest of the program. But one of the questions we do ask is how a sex worker defines sex work for themselves. And this is something that we started early on in the Vixen Hour, recognizing that to apply one definition to everybody is a little bit problematic in that you end up leaving people out. So rather than trying to assume what sex work means to sex workers, we just ask. So Tracy Kwan, what does sex work mean to you? Well, obviously it's it's a job, but I think for me it was also a way of life. And I know that there are people who argue in the sex workers movement about whether it's a job or an identity. And I think it can be a bit of both. I like the fact that the term includes people from different parts of the industry, Mm. not just prostitution. But I I have to say that when sex work came into vogue as the term that we're all going to use, I was at first quite resistant to that and preferred 
the sort of militancy of using the word prostitute because the first organizations that did sex worker rights very often embracing the term even in their organizational names. So, for example, mm. the group that I belong to in New York is called Prostitutes of New York. Mm-hmm. Now, we had a debate when we got Pony, the short term is Pony, mm-hmm. when we got Pony revived again in the early 1990s, we had a debate because I had just met Andrew Hunter for uh-huh. the first time. He came to New York for a conference, and that's where I met Andrew. He actually challenged me on that and said, you know, I, I think maybe as you get this group going again, because he knew that we were trying to get something started again after a long period of dormancy, mm-hmm. and he said, maybe you would like to consider using another name, because some people don't identify with the word prostitute. And he had a point because the term was becoming a little bit old-fashioned in in activist circles and and sex worker was coming in. And he made me aware of that. So I took that to the next meeting, not as a mandate, but more as a discussion point. Mm -hmm. And we decided we would go with the word prostitute. And I can say more about why in a minute. But I always appreciated having that conversation. Even if you end up disagreeing with someone about what words to use, I feel like, or or any political point, the fact that you disagree, it doesn't have to be a negative. I mean, it it can help you to decide why you're going to do this anyway. And that's what he did. Because as much as we we use the term sex work a lot um, in Pony, and I use it a lot, it's I do like mixing it up, and and we didn't just use it out of blind adherence to tradition. It was because one of the dancers, who was not a prostitute, said, no, I want us to have the word prostitute in the organizational name. She said, because that's the central oppression, and that's why dancers are oppressed, because prostitutes are oppressed. And until we're not afraid to say that word, we'll still have this problem. So I thought that was really interesting, coming from somebody who was doing a kind of sex work that's that's still legal, that is legal, because mm-hmm. exotic dancing is legal in New York, but prostitution is not. Maybe that's a bit of a long answer. <laughs> no, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. Connecting, representing, celebrating. Joy 94.9. I'm Dr. Brooke Mignanti, formerly known as Belle du Jour, and you're listening to the Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9. You are listening to The Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. We are speaking to Tracy Kwan all night, well, at least listening to my chat with her. And here's the second part of that interview. You're on The Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. Joy. We are speaking with the fabulous Tracy Kwan. And just before that break, we were um, talking about using the word prostitute as as opposed to sex worker. And just a bit of a story from me. In a discussion with a colleague a while ago, somebody was was like oh Tracy Kwan annoys me she keeps using the word prostitute and I sort of turned around and I said to them well you know Tracy Kwan started writing in 1999 and my friend who I was speaking to was like yeah but she should you know she should adapt and I was like hang on hang on okay why should she use the word sex worker and everyone's you know referencing you know in language that 
that is scientifically accurate, supports human rights, challenges stigma, all of that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, well, you know where you read that? And they, of course, pointed to the UNAIDS terminology guide. And I was like, okay, when was that written? And I was like, the first edition of that guide was written in 2007. And so I think we need to be kinder to people who are in sort of the sex worker rights movement who did start in very early on. And I mean, I've spoken to a number of people who've been doing this work now for years and years and years before a lot of those tools became available to modern activists. Um, But as someone who was very active, you know, in the in the late 90s, early 2000s, I imagine there wasn't a lot of role models or people providing leadership. What was it like sort of being an active voice of sex workers? Well, I'm, and I'm acknowledging not a representative voice, but, you know, somebody who was just vocal about sex work back in those days when I imagine, you know, things like the internet were just, you know, people were only just starting to get onto that. Facebook wasn't around. So what was it like writing back then? I mean, was were there role models? Were there people that you kind of looked up to? Sure. No, we've had role models. You know, our role models, however, come from the 1970s and 80s. So PONY, which stands for Prostitutes of New York, used to be led by a woman now dead, Iris de la Cruz, who became very involved with people living with AIDS activism because she was HIV positive. She never used the term sex worker. She used the Mm. term prostitute. She was a streetwalker, and she was the president of Pony, and she was very, very out. She had a radio show on WBAI, which which is community radio. So, I mean, she was doing what you're doing in, you know, just on her own because she wasn't good at the collectivist thing, but she was a good activist. She certainly had a ton of, had a lot of courage and, you know, and she would go to court and, you know, oversee what was happening to the other streetwalkers. Anyway, she would never have used the term sex worker. She was very proud to be a prostitute. And it's important for people to know that as useful as the term sex worker is, and I actually do encourage people to use it in certain circles and situations, as good a term as it is, we have a strong international sex workers movement because of the people who were not afraid of the word prostitute. And I don't want to get too hung up on words because they change every decade. They change from century to century, and they mean different things to us at different times. But it does matter that, for example, the women who led the strike in France in 1975, they called themselves the Prostitutes Collective. Hmm. And, you know, that that's important. You know, I'm not saying that we have to keep using that word. And but it's it's good to understand the history of it. And a lot of the people who are now being pulled into the sex workers movement are not people who would have participated in this when it was so small. Hmm. I'm not putting a value judgment on that. But a lot of the people who join the sex workers movement are doing it because it's already a powerful movement. And maybe they would not have been, you know, willing to join a group that has three people in it. <laughs> well, certainly, <laughs> yes. Well, well it, it's interesting because... Well, one of the things that we focus on here in the Vixen Hour is the involvement of sex workers. And one of the things that enables that for a lot of people is that radio is a very safe medium for people who are highly stigmatized because you can still choose to protect your identity if you wanted to. And I mean, we we totally encourage that here on the Vixen Hour. But it's interesting because I think there is some safety in numbers and certainly social media and Facebook and Twitter have really 
added a lot of meat to what were bones of a movement, if you like. And I guess those numbers have enabled more and more sex workers to become involved. I guess as somebody who's been active very early on and been able to observe this this massive change, what do you make of the modern sex worker rights movement? That's kind of a big question, right? (laughs) Yeah. It depends which countries you go to. I think as you get larger, and you say there's safety in numbers, that's true. I think as you get larger, you sometimes get more conformity in a movement. Mm -hmm. So so I'm noticing that within the movement, sometimes people are afraid to speak up when they disagree with each other in ways that I would not have expected, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And it's partly because the movement has become extremely legitimized. It's a bit like, you know, the gay movement in that sense, and it's going in that direction. So, you know, we we have schisms, one you just described about, like, what words we'll use. And I do think that this conformity thing can be a bit of a problem. I have mixed feelings about it. So I guess what I what I would say is that you know we've made a lot of gains, mm-hmm. and then the price for that sometimes is a lack of tolerance for people with different ideas. Like we have we have a kind of diversity politics that we all officially sign on to, and the idea is that well, for example, I've always been concerned that there aren't enough guys in the in any given group. You know, you want more and more guys because we know that that there are a lot of male sex workers. Mm. But maybe it's different in Australia. But in New York, I found in the beginning with Pony that we had more women than Mm. men. And people talk about racial and ethnic diversity. But diversity also means different opinions. And I think sometimes that gets lost. I think that definitely gets lost. Yeah, it's interesting because I was rereading parts of... Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl, and um, particularly the chapter where Nancy gets dragged into an activist meeting, and and she's initially resistant, and she you know she didn't really want to be there, and I, I sort of reflected a lot on that because for me it kind of felt the same. I mean, I do a lot of stuff now and do a lot of sort of sex worker organising, and I have this radio show, but um, early on I was I was a bit terrified to join. Um, oh, you were? Yeah, sex worker rights moving because I was like, what if I say something wrong? I didn't go to university. I didn't study gender studies. Well, I didn't know what's going on. So, you know, there was this sort of preaching of embracing diversity, but I was still too scared to get involved. So what did that mean? Um, well, you know, I, well, I didn't go to university and mm-hmm. I didn't do gender studies. And that's something I've seen change is that there are a lot of, a lot of college sex workers in the movement. And yeah, and sometimes those people are farther to the left than people who are maybe more like traditional sex workers. So I've seen that happening, mm. where somebody with a very leftist orientation, but who is also like uh, very jargon oriented and using a lot of academic jargon and is hooked into the kind of whole university culture, is attacking other people in the sex industry who are just more like traditional sex workers mm. and not, you know, and I think we're seeing some, some odd sort of, what's the word, tendencies in the movement arising because of that. When I was working in the business, most of my friends were not university-educated girls. Mm. They often were the kind of girls who could seem university-educated and be very smooth and talk about any number of things, but there wasn't 
such a big emphasis on university. And, you know, a lot of the girls I worked with were people who had started, you know, in their late teens, you know, just sort of fresh out of high school. I mean, I'm not saying there were no college girls, but it just wasn't necessarily the norm. And the madams, the women that we worked for who were much older, definitely had not been to university. And, you know, we're part of a different generation. A lot of the madams I worked with and some of the older girls I met had actually started working in the sex industry at a time when women could not even get credit or a mortgage or any of that in their own name. So, uh, you know, they were really pioneers of a different kind. Yeah, it's interesting. And then they would become, mm-hmm. a lot of these women would, would start out as prostitutes and become madams because that was the, the career track. There, there wasn't another career track. So... I've been a little startled to hear those women being attacked by people on the left of the sex workers movement, not by name or anything, but the general idea, like that there's a lack of understanding about why some people in the sex industry decide to become business owners or managers. Yeah, that's certainly a debate that is happening in the Australian sex worker rights movement, if you like, as well. And it's, it's something that we, I guess, constantly talk about. You're listening to the Dixon Hour on Joy 94.9. Yeah, yeah, I'm out at Brooklyn. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Narrow. But I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra. And since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop in Harlem. All of my Dominican Connors right there up on Broadway. Pull me back to that McDonald's. Took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off-white Lexus. Driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out there Bed-Stuy. Home of that boy Biggie. Now I live on Billboard. And I brought my boys with me. Say what up to Tata. Still sipping my ties. Sitting courtside. Nicks and Nets give me high five. Nigga, I be spiked out. I could trip a referee. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from. I made the Yankee hat more famous than the Yankee King. You should know I bleed blue, but I ain't a crypto. But I got a gang of niggas walking with my click though. Welcome to the melting pot. Corners where we selling rock. Africa been by the shit. Home of the hip-hop. Yellow cap, gypsy cap, dollar cap, holla back. For foreigners, it ain't fair. They act like they forgot how to act. Eight million stories out there in the naked. City is a pity. Half of y'all won't make it. Me, I got a plug special where I got it made. If Jesus paying LeBron, I'm paying Dwayne Wade. Three dice, Zelo. Three card, Marley. Labor Day parade, rest in peace, Bob Marley. Statue of Liberty. Long live the world trade. Long live the king, yo. I'm from the Empire State. That's.
blinding. Girls need blinders so they can step out of bounds quick. The sidelines is lined with casualties who sip the life casually and gradually become worse. Don't fight the apple eve. Caught up in the in crowd. Now you're in style. And in the winter gets cold. In vogue with your skin out. City of sin. It's a pity on the whim. Good girls going bad. The city's filled with them. Mommy took a bus trip. Now she got a bust out. Everybody ride her just like a bus route. Hail Mary to the city. You're a virgin. And Jesus can't save you. Life starts when the church in. Came here for school. Graduated to the highlight. Ball players. Rap stars. Addicted to the limelight. Empty in May. Got you feeling like a champion. The city never sleeps. Better slip you an ambient. Spirituality and sex. Where else but Joy 94.9? That's right, you are on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9 and Sydney Star Observer Digital. Uh, welcome wherever you are. It's great to have your company. Right now, we are going to part three of our discussion with the fabulous American writer Tracy Kwan. Here we go. Stage. Sci-fi, spirituality, and sex. Where else? But Joy ninety four point nine. I did want to talk a little bit more about Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl. Another bit that I found interesting, again related to, was talking about being an underage sex worker or an underage escort. See, for me, I speak a lot about my sort of personal story and history, and I do that. I'm, I'm very conscious that I do that as my way of doing individual activism and challenging stigma and prejudice and all of that kind of stuff. But one of the harder things to, for me to get questioned on, um, although I'm, you know, I'm happy to speak about it, is starting to because I started to do street-based sex work when I was 15 years old and then people try to you know draw meaning out of well what is it what does it mean for me to sort of speak about that in a in a public kind of way and am I would I advocate for underage sex work and all of this kind of line of questioning but you seem to just had done it quite naturally in your novels like it just it's it's not a difficult thing it just it comes up and it is what it is Uh, I'm wondering if you if you get questioned about that oh constantly I have even been challenged on the whole question of underage sex work as I think you know but maybe I should clarify Mm -hmm. I started working in the sex industry at the age of 14 Mm -hmm. I 
kept it very quiet. You know, I, I was an activist, and I didn't I didn't keep it a complete secret from other activists. But I did not, for example, speak about it in the media. To be honest, on one occasion, I completely covered it up because I didn't want a journalist going around saying that I'd been under an underage sex worker. If you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. There's there's a fair number of people in the sex worker rights movement who worked underage. It's mm. not necessarily the majority, but there's a good number. And there's also an even bigger number in the United States, for example, and England, of sex workers who started when they were adults, probably young adults, but, you know, as adults. And I have noticed that there's sometimes a kind of defensiveness on the part of the the people who started as adults. They're very nervous about this issue. And so I remember somebody in a discussion group saying, in a a sex worker-only discussion group (laughs) online, saying, there's no such thing as an underage sex worker. That's just child abuse. I said, I was an underage sex worker, and that's what I was. And, you know, you can, it's fine if you feel the way you do about, I I don't mind if you think that was inappropriate, but I just just don't think it's necessarily a good idea to tell me I don't exist. So... (laughs) Yeah, I think that response, that sort of dismissal or invisibilizing of sex workers who are, you know, not of age comes from, it's a reaction to like abolitionists who do say that that sex work is child abuse. And then, you know, to to argue against that, there is this sort of, oh, no, child abuse is child abuse and sex work is sex work. And the two, and we separate the two. But it does, it does become a bit of a problem when you're trying to have this discussion with people. People um, like you and like me who have had this history of, well, when I was underage and I was doing sex work, it's hard to talk about things like, well, did I feel exploited? Was I, um, because you have to, it's almost like you have to evaluate things like laws and, um, and accepted norms that don't actually reflect the reality of what happened to you. And I guess that that's for me is one of the challenges of, of talking about my own personal history. So I'm often asked whether I think that someone should work underage. And actually, my answer is no, because I don't, I mean, I don't go around thinking that everybody should do what I did. Mm. I, I don't, I don't think that everyone can handle it. I also feel, and you may feel the same way too, that I don't need for other people to to do what I do for it to be okay. Mm. Something could be okay for me and, you know, doesn't have to be okay for somebody else. So, you know, and, and I don't really have an answer to the question of how the law is going to deal with it. I think, frankly, that if you do things, you, you do have to have cut off ages for things in, mm-hmm. in modern societies, and it's going to change all the time. And I think I don't set myself up as an authority on how the law should be designed. That's not my area. But what I do think is helpful about having been an underage sex worker is that it helps you to remember what it's like to see things from the outside. Because as you may recall, people in the industry are not necessarily that friendly to the idea of underage people. So when yeah. I worked underage, I didn't let other sex workers know that I was underage or any of the agency bosses or any of that. I never wanted them to know that. They would have run a million miles from me. Oh, absolutely. In the um, I knew. On the street, if people knew you were underage, they would do all that they could. And I mean, in some you know extreme cases, they would even resort to violence if they had 
had to, if that meant that that would get you off the street, because it meant that if you're underage, the public see that you're extremely young and vulnerable, which then brings the police involved, which then also brings highly predatory clients into the street. And it made, and so it did, it was a, it was an area of tension amongst street-based sex workers as well. So it was an absolute priority to not let anyone know that I was underage when I was sort of working at the time. It's interesting that that experience is common in a number of different types of sex work, if you like. It's very common, right? Mm. And that's really interesting what you just said. So I think that actually probably the distinction we need to make is uh, sometimes is the kind of commercial sex where it's known that the person is underage and the kind where it's kept a secret, because I think that does make a big difference. And, you know, I would not really have wanted, I had enough sense to just feel like it would have been unsafe. I, I would not have ever wanted to work for an escort agency that was looking for 15-year-olds. Yeah, that yeah. would have felt wrong. Mm. So. Right. So that that would just feel wrong. And so I think that there's a lot of stuff that underage sex workers or people with that background bring to the table and to the sex worker rights movement. And I'm going to say something a little bit catty, which is that, you know, maybe some of these more legitimate sex workers who started as adults are a little bit jealous of the kind of insider knowledge that we have, because we actually know something more about our own culture from having been on that cutting edge, that that really strange underside of things. And, yeah. and we know a little more than they do. You know, now, I've also met people who were really, in my opinion, abused, and mm. it seems to be their opinion as well, because they were so young. So it, I think that everything happens. You know, I don't think that, that it's neat and tidy. Mm. And while I would make a draw a line between child abuse and sex work as concepts i i think we both know that the two things can happen at the same time oh absolutely yeah and you know that is something one would hope to be able to prevent i think we're a while off being able to have a discussion at that level we're still you know we're still arguing for the legitimacy of sex work in a lot of circles but, yeah so to argue to yeah so- but what i want what i do want is for more people who have done underage work to speak up and to because I kept it a secret in a lot of uh, circles hmm. and I want more people to speak up because I want people to realize that some of the people that some of the folks who are you know really contributing to the movement um, have this experience yeah and, and that is what bothered me about being told that you know underage workers don't exist I felt yeah. like well hey you may not realize this but some of the people who helped to build the organizations have that experience so and, and know, maybe the, the world is more complex than that. Yeah, and you have to acknowledge their existence, whether you like it or not. And I think there's a there's a small video that Janet Mock has been putting out in, as part of the launch of her book, and she talked about you know being an, also being an underage sex worker. But had anyone tried to tell her to stop, she would have just rolled her eyes and gotten in the car anyway. Like, and I think. The acknowledgement that they exist. I mean, they, they're out there whether we like it or not. It's about, well, you know, being as inclusive um, or at least having an awareness of their existence is not a bad thing. Yeah, and but as you know, in Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl and in the subsequent books like Diary of a Married Call Girl, Nancy Chan, who was herself an underage escort, is <laughs> she becomes very conservative uh-huh. and... 
in many ways, right? And that's not unusual either. And so I'm sure that if Nancy were around an underage escort, she wouldn't be comfortable. She would run away. And so would I have. When I became an adult sex worker, you know, by the time I was, say, 20, I thought I was like, very aware of that as a legal problem. And if anyone had told me that someone was underage, I, I would have, I would certainly not have gotten involved in violence, but I, I would have avoided that person mm. because you, that's just what you have to do, unfortunately. Mm. Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joy.org.au for the world. You are on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. We are speaking with Tracy Kwan. Now, this is the last bit of our conversation with her where I ask her where we can go to hear more of her fabulousness. Well, I just wanted your listeners to know that I do a, a weekly guest appearance on uh, Radio 3 Hong Kong mm-hmm. every Wednesday, every Wednesday, at, uh, just a little after 10 a.m. Hong Kong time. And I talk for about 15 minutes about what's happening in the world of New York and and we we often do talk about sex worker rights issues yeah, it's it's a really cool way. Like it's a it's been described like as a little window into New York, and I think that's a really good description of it. Because and like listening to it, and you don't have to be you know in Hong Kong to listen to it, but um, listening to it anywhere in the world sort of gives you that little insight into the Big Apple. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's online and it's archived. Fantastic. And is there anything else coming up for Tracy Kwan that people should be aware of? I'm working on a new column for um, ABC.net for the drum, which is a section of your ABC website, and I'm not sure when that will run, but (laughs) (laughs) and I'd like to keep the topic a little bit under wraps, but I've been writing for them over the past few years. It's actually one of the most fun gigs that I have, and because I I like writing for ABC, and so I'm looking forward to doing more with them. Great. Well, we look forward to reading more from you. Yes, and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Tracy (laughs) Kwan, NYC. Kwan is spelt with a Q, and I have a website, tracyquan.net. And all of your books are available as ebooks everywhere in the world now. That's that's how I, I actually lent my copy of Diary of a Manhattan Call Girl to someone, and I don't know where it is, so I had to rebuy it. But that's okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I can send you uh, <laughs> the the, um, the three books are definitely available in Australia as yeah. ebooks. And every market is different, so I can't speak for each situation. But um, if you go to my website, there's a lot of info, and people can feel free to contact me through there. I'm very, I'm, I'm very good about replying to emails. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. Um, thank you, Tracy Kwan. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9 Hey, this is Courtney Trouble and you're listening to the Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9 You have been listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9 You have been listening to our conversation with the wonderful Tracy Kwan Thank you so much to Tracy for joining us here on the air Always fabulous to speak to, you know, one of the people who've motivated, you know, more certainly my heroes. Um, So, yeah, that was a bit of a big deal for me. If 
you would like to catch a podcast of this show, it will be available hopefully within 24 hours. I do try my best to get it out there. I'm a one-person show. I do everything from planning to podcasts. So be patient with me. I will try to get it out there as soon as possible. You can check out the Vixen Hours podcasts at joy.org.au forward slash the Vixen Hour. And if you want to stay connected to us all throughout the week on social media, you can do so by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sex worker radio you can also follow us on twitter at vixen hour we are everywhere (laughs) it has come to the end of this amazing program thank you tracy for joining me on the air thank you everyone for listening and um i will catch you next monday at 9 p.m you're listening to the vixen hour on joy 94.9 You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.